Hello, this is Kurt Frankum, and many of you know me as the host of the Leading Saints podcast. But Leading Saints isn't just a podcast. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we strive to create quality leadership content for Latter-day Saints in order to help them be better prepared to lead. With this mission comes a lot of expense, and we need additional help to continue our efforts in the coming year. In order to exchange value for value, we have created the Core Leader Community. To become a core leader, all you have to do is become a subscribing donor, which might be a monthly recurring donation or even a quarterly or yearly donation. For those who become a core leader through a subscription donation, you have access to our core leader library, which includes additional recorded interviews not available to the general audience, access to all virtual summits, discounts on products and conferences, and access to a private CoreCast feed where you will hear additional leadership thought and behind the scenes happenings. We are a community of leaders making this happen, and we need you a part of this mission. Text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to become a core leader today, or visit leadingsaints.org donate. Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankum, and I will be your host. Now, if you're new to Leading Saints, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead and do that through various ways. And one of those is this podcast. So I hope that you subscribe. I like a good podcaster. I should tell you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this, and that helps more people find this. But really the best way for people to find this resources for you to drop a link into an email and send it to someone you know or share on social medias wherever it is so that's we're glad you're here we're glad you found us however it is you you found us the, what matters is that you're here and in this episode we talk with Ryan Gofferson and Ryan is a good friend of mine who I've actually met through the leading Saints uh, audience uh, years ago he started writing articles and contributing written content to the website and you find a lot of his articles at leadingsaints.org, which are phenomenal and uh, so inspiring and thought-provoking that your time would be well spent by going to leadingsaints.org and and finding some of those articles that he's written. But speaking of writing, he's actually written a new book called Success Mindset, Your Keys to Unlocking Greater Success in Your Life, Work, and Leadership. And I would add in your church experience as well. Now, Ryan is a PhD In fact, I'll just read his uh, bio from the book. It says, uh, Ryan Gottfriedson, PhD, is a mental success coach and cutting-edge leadership consultant, author, trainer, and researcher. He helps improve organizations, leaders, teams, and employees by improving their mindsets. Ryan is currently a a leadership and management professor at the Mahalo College of Business and Economics at the California State University, Fullerton. He holds a PhD in organizational behavior and human resources from Indiana University and a BA from Brigham Young University. He is also a former consultant for Gallup, Inc., where he helped dozens of organizations improve engagement of their employees. As a respected authority and researcher on the topic related to leadership, management, and organizational behavior, Ryan has published over 15 articles in a variety of journals. His research has been cited over 1,700 times since 2014, and you can find him at ryangotverson.com. So this interview in his book, I read every word of it. It's a phenomenal book. I'll do more of an explanation as we start the interview with Ryan, but such a key component of leadership is mindsets, and we're going to discover why with Ryan Gottfriedson. So here is my interview with Ryan Gottfriedson, the author of Success Mindsets. 
Welcome back to another session of the Meetings with Saints Virtual Summit. This is, uh, I don't know what I'm going to call this, a simulcast or whatever. We're going to push this interview not only on the Virtual Summit, but also on the podcast because it's going to be just that good, folks. And that's because my guest is Ryan Gottfriedson. How are you, Ryan? Doing great. You're putting the pressure on, Kurt. Oh, that's what I do best with you, Ryan. (laughs) I expect the highest from you and you never disappoint. People may recognize your name. You've, You've been a contributor to Leading Saints for for years now, it probably is. And you've written articles and done other interviews on other summits and podcast episodes. And we just keep having you back because we have not squozen your brain enough to get more knowledge out. So I'm glad you're here and you're no. here because you just wrote a book, right? I did. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate the opportunities you've given me to essentially trust me to put my material in front of your audience, it means a lot. And, and it's an audience that I love uh, working with. Well, it's uh, the, the, especially with these concepts you research, they're so applicable to the Latter-day Saint leadership experience. And so I can't help but have you back. And, and I first want to just congratulate you on writing this book, which is called uh, Success Mindset. And uh, I know there's a lot of work that goes into writing a book. And I read it for various reasons. One, we're going to do this interview. And two, you're my friend and I want to understand the research you're doing. But like removing my bias, this was a fantastic book. Like you did a phenomenal job with this book. And it's a book that every leaders, especially, and really anybody would benefit from. So congratulations on getting this out there and doing it. This I'm sure it was a labor of love. It was a really great process. And I'm really happy with the book. And now that it's out, I'm starting to get feedback from people really all over the world that are commenting on it. And I've, I'm really blessed to hear that it's been all positive feedback. I think people who don't like it, they're not going to contact me. So I'm surely getting a biased <laughs> perspective. But I mean, I think one of the reasons why I ultimately wrote the book is I probably needed the messages just as much as anybody right. else. Yeah. And my life has been changed because of the principles that we talk about in the book. And I want to help others do the same. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, the reason I loved it so much is, you know, in a lay ministry in the church, and I get the chance to interact with leaders across the world, they, a lot of times you're called as a bishop or a really society president, and you're like, you don't even know where to start, right? Yeah, we can talk about interviews, we can talk about how to run a class, whatever. But I would say like, if there's any place a person should start before you can really have impact as a leader, you've got to get your mindset, right? And so that's why I appreciate by this resource is it gives a leader a place to start and you can continue to, to revisit these principles as you continue leading. Yeah, because what we reveal is that mindsets are foundational to everything that we do. And maybe let me give you a an example from a real world situation. Yeah, so I love it. I, are, are you much of a football fan, Kurt? <sighs> College football. I'm a season ticket holder, right? Oh, me too. All right. Are you? But, Go Cougars. <laughs> but I'm going to jump to the NFL. Okay. So. All right. Tom Coughlin is the former head coach of the New York Giants. He won two Super Bowls when he was with the New York Giants. So rather successful head coach. Well, when he stepped down, he went over to the Jacksonville Jaguars as the president of operations. And I don't know how familiar you are with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but historically, they've been a pretty terrible team. Yeah, that's why I'm not familiar with it. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got to anticipate that here's a successful head coach moving over to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's got to be thinking, I want to turn this ship around and I want to leave a lasting legacy for myself. And I think a lot of times when we receive callings, particularly leadership callings within the church, we're in a similar position as Tom Coughlin. We want to come in and have a positive influence 
on the people that we're leading and serving. But the thing, here's the thing that's interesting about Tom Coughlin is he comes in and he's kind of known to be a disciplinarian. In fact, he's almost Vince Lombardi-esque because he would say, if you're on time, you're late. You're only on time if you're five minutes early. And he would even put all of the clocks five minutes fast in all of their facilities. And then there were some fines associated with being late. Hmm. So, you know, this gives you some of the dynamics that were going on when he was a leader there. Well, this last football season, the NFL Players Association came out with a report and they said, okay, the Jacksonville Jaguars represent 3% of the NFL in terms of their players because there's Mm -hmm. 32 teams. But 25% of all of the complaints that have come into the Players Association have come from the Jacksonville Jaguars. So 3% is driving 25% of the complaints. And it's all connected back to Tom Coughlin and the policies that he had implemented. And the Jacksonville or the the Players Association came out and said publicly, we cannot recommend that any players play for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ouch. Like, so here's a situation where the owner is now forced to fire Tom Coughlin because he's created a situation that has actually had a negative effect on the organization. So here's this unique situation. A leader is coming in with all of the best intentions in the world. I think we've got to believe that. And at the end of the day, he creates a worse atmosphere than when he started out. Yeah. And and so when we dive into the ideas of mindsets, what we're exploring is why is this? Why is it somebody can have the best intentions in the world yet still have negative effects? You know, we've got to believe that Tom Coughlin was trying the best that he could. Mm-hmm. And we've got to believe that leaders in general are trying the best that we can in terms of particularly church leaders. Yeah. But yet we see statistics such as 60 percent of employees say that their leaders damage their self-esteem. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think leaders go to work saying I want to damage my employee self-esteem. Just that sometimes the lenses that we're using to view the world prevents us from operating as our ideal selves. Yeah. And I love that example because he has a proven like a success track record. Like he, he's won two Super Bowls, right? Of course, yeah. you, you want him to come to your organization and hopefully turn it around. But again, it's just these best intentions. And this happens a lot in the church as well. Like nobody comes in like, I'm going to totally just like shame everybody as a bishop. And I hope I hope half the world goes half the world goes inactive while I'm in. Like nobody does that, right? We all come in like, this is a great opportunity. I think I can really make a difference. And this is, it reminds me of my uh, first leadership calling as an elder scorn president in the YSA ward where I met my wife. And I walked into that thinking, wow, this is, this is going to be great. I'm going to try really hard and really have an impact. And I remember leaving it like, man, I, I feel everything, all my statistics went down. Like there wasn't this big high moment. Like it, nobody probably remembers my name. And, and it was sort of discouraging. So the best intentions don't always mean that you have the best mindset in place or your the mindset's in a place where you're going to lead to success, right? Yep, correct. So where, where do we begin with just understanding, laying a foundation of mindsets? Because a lot of time, if you walk up to a random person and say, I wrote a book about mindset, it could they could interpret that in a variety of different ways, right? Yeah. So our mindsets, as we kind of just described them, are our mental lenses that shape how we view the world around us. So in terms of even a neuropsychological perspective is when we encounter a situation, our senses are sending all sorts of stimuli to our brain and our brain can't process all that information. So it relies upon our mindsets to do two things, filter in specific information and then interpret that information in unique ways. 
So it's our mindsets that cause, let's just say, two different leaders to see the same situation, but interpret it completely differently. And most of the work that our mindsets do in terms of its effects on our thinking, learning, and behavior occurs non-consciously. Like we're not conscious of the fact that we are seeing the world in a certain way, and that's different from somebody else. And that has really important implications. But if we can awaken to our mindsets, then we become empowered to see the world in better ways. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe what's an example that comes to mind that that would help people understand like an, an anecdote that, that we could better explain that way? For sure. I'm glad you asked. So <laughs> let me give you an example of seeing somebody who is homeless. And in fact, I just read a statistic. I'm in Southern California. Half of the United States homeless population is in California, wow. which I think is incredible. But what that means for me is on almost a daily basis, I come across a homeless person asking for assistance. And how do, let's ask ourselves, how do you see people who are asking for assistance on a street corner? Do you see them as not doing their best or do you see them as doing their best? Now, this has rather profound implications because if we don't see them as doing their best, and I'll be honest, I'm ashamed to admit this, for most of my adult life, I would see them as not doing their best. And I would quickly become critical. I would think, why are you asking me for my hard-earned money when you're just standing there asking for assistance? Why don't you do something more productive with your time? Maybe go get a job. Mm -hmm. What's my likelihood of navigating that situation effectively and navigating it in a way that lives up to my ideal self? Well, it's probably limited. But if I see them as doing their best, it leads me to ask the question, what in the world has happened in their life that has led them to believe that this is the best way to live? Now I quickly become empathetic and I'm much more likely to handle that situation more successfully and live up to my ideal self. And so what this demonstrates is that how we see our world and how we see others shapes how we think about them, how we behave towards them, and how successfully we navigate those situations. And so I think as a church leader, a lot of times we have people that are coming to us with problems and issues or maybe conflict, something that they don't like. How do we see them? Do we see them as, oh, you're not doing your best because we're going to become critical of them? Or do we explore the situation saying, what in the world is going on in your life that has led you to kind of believe or act the way that you're you're acting? And now that we explore that, we're able to see them as people and, and better navigate that situation. Yeah, and, and really goes back to what that, like you said, what lenses are we seeing the world through? And and I'm gonna flip your example a little bit, because oftentimes the emails that I get at Leading Saints are, Kurt, like what can I do about my leader, my bishop, my release? I mean, he's a mess. Like he just doesn't get it, right? And so we often look at our leader and, and we can ask the question, do we see them as doing their very best and be like, no way. Like I can name five things that I know for sure that they're just completely ignoring and they should give more attention to, but they just don't want to. They're lazy, They're right? Yeah. We, we sort of project our lens on other people and to fill in the the gaps when in reality we have we have no evidence that you could take into a court of law and prove some of these assumptions you make as an individual, right? So it really starts with understanding what lens are, is it we're looking through. Yep, for sure. And you're, you're exactly right. It goes both ways. Yeah. So, um, so as a leader, like, and, and the thing is, and you uh, go over this in your book that we all like, 
there's nobody that doesn't have lenses. Like we all have life experiences, DNA, you know, so many things that influence the lenses that, you know, I'm a certain leader because of my childhood, because of my parents, because of my career and what I do day to day. And so we can't act like, well, I have some lenses, but they're not a big deal. Like we all need a, that's the first step is recognizing what the lens is and trying to understand how it is, how you're perceiving the world through that lens. Yeah. And it's tricky because we all tend to think that how we see the world is the best way to see the world. Yeah. And the reason why I feel comfortable saying that is because if we thought we could see the world better, we would do so. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we are biased towards our perspective of the world. And we just may not recognize that how we are seeing the world just isn't the best way to see the world. And if we can awaken to that, then we become empowered to change, to improve. And so that's what's been so eye-opening to me because as I've gone about my life prior to learning about mindsets is I kind of thought my lenses are the best way to see the world. And as I started to learn about mindsets, I quickly realized, wow, I don't have any of the positive mindsets that research has found to be most optimal for success. Yeah. And that was a, I mean, it was a huge awakening. In fact, I've got a guy right now who's a a seminary teacher. He was texting me earlier today. I'm going to pull it up. And, and he's saying, he's reading my book and he says, I used to think that I was open-minded. Reading the chapters about open versus closed really made me question that. It's hard to face. It's professionally embarrassing. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, and I, I respond back to him. I said, welcome to the club, buddy. Like, yeah. I've been there. Like, this sucks because we think that we're doing a good job. We think that we're seeing the world in the best way. But sometimes we're blind to the fact that we're having negative effects on others. Yeah. And that's the thing is we have best intentions. So we think that I can't go wrong here. I mean, I, I'm sure I'll make mistakes and I won't be do it perfectly, but I'm not going to do any damage. But in reality, there's a lot of damage you could do with the best intentions as, as, we've, as we've talked about. And, and I just love that where I think you ask any person, you know, are you open-minded? They'll generally say, yeah, I'm pretty open-minded. But just starting like starting with the assumption, even if you don't believe it at first, starting with the assumption that I'm more closed-minded than open-minded, I think that begins like to to open your mind to to see maybe areas that you are closed-minded and how that's hurting your influence on others. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh as far as like taking attaching this to to leadership and and I'm gonna jump in and out of the context of meetings since where I'm gonna display this in the meetings with Saints Virtual Summit. Mindset is crucial when you walk in, when you're, when you're in a, a culture of meetings, uh, regardless of what the meeting is, but especially when you're in a council meeting, right, where decisions are being made, where, you're, where other opinions are so crucial. And so that's why I, I want to definitely focus on, on, on this. But give us the example. Uh, let's go to the example you share in the book about Lee Iacocca, who was the CEO of Chrysler. Was it early 90s? Yeah. And even a little bit before that. Yeah. Okay. So, and we'll, I'll use him as an example, but let me give you four desires. Okay. Okay. And these are desires that you can be walking into or to a meeting with a desire to look good, Mm. a desire to be right, a desire to avoid problems and a desire to get ahead. Like, are there, is there anything wrong with these desires? Yeah, I mean, some of them maybe seem more prideful than others, but I think we all are striving to look good. That doesn't mean that, you know, we'll go, we'll do anything to look good, but maybe some do. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, these are really justifiable desires because who wants to look bad, be wrong, have problems and get passed up? 
<laughs> well, nobody, <laughs> yeah. right? But the problem is, is that these desires are attached to the negative mindsets. Mm. And the reason why they're negative is because they are self-focused. When we have these negative mindsets and these negative desires, we're in self-protection mode. And it's really easy for leaders to get into self-protection mode yeah. because there's a lot to live up to as a leader. So we feel a lot of pressure. And so we want to feel, we feel like we need to look good, have all the answers. And within the church, we're doing this for free. And so that means I want to avoid problems because the more problems I have here is the less I have time for my family and my work and all the other stuff that I have going. Yeah. So naturally, I think leaders and particularly leaders in the church are socially incentivized to have negative desires. And what we don't recognize is that there's higher order desires to have associated with the more positive mindsets. So instead of wanting to look good, we should want to learn and grow. Instead of wanting to be right, we should want to find truth and think optimally. Instead of wanting to avoid problems, we should seek to reach goals. And instead of wanting to get ahead, we should seek to lift others. Yeah. And, and as we make these shifts, we're moving from self-protection mode to organization advance mode. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and I, my mind goes to the example of, you know, the mindset in, in church leadership. At the end of the day, we just want to do what the Lord would have us do, right? And, and that's not necessarily a negative mindset, but then these social influences come because there's no way to like get rid of them or just, just by stating that on paper, it makes sense. But then we get into the, then we get, you know, angry people knocking on our door or we get uh, a conflict that, that arises in a meeting. Then we think, okay, let's, let's not make any waves. You know, let's not, you know, let's avoid any problems here. And so let's get, you know, um, you know, put this aside or whatever it is, but it is by going through those problems that we discover what the Lord would have us do. You know, it's by, it's by not looking good at times that we discover what the Lord would have us do. So this is, this is a great example of how these social pressures can really influence us. Yeah, for sure. And so di di diving back into this Lee Iacocca example, is, yeah. as a leader, he had these negative desires. He wanted to look good, be right, avoid problems, and get ahead. And so that influenced how he led Chrysler. And essentially, he was focused more on looking good, kind of having a positive image, more than actually building his organization and improving the substance of his organization. So while he was improving kind of the looks of his cars, he was doing nothing to improve the internal aspect of these cars, like the engine and things like that, that would actually lead the car to be successful moving forward. Because at the end of the day, what matters is whether or not I've got a reliable car, right. not how good it looks. And so that was essentially his, his mindsets just led him to see the world in such a way that he was more focused on, on looking good as opposed to learning and actually developing the organization. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing about a story that you talk about is like when he got put in as a CEO, he, it appeared that he turned that organization around. And he said there, there's research that was done that shows that, well, actually, the, the economy and other so many other factors actually led to Chrysler improving. And then it took a dive and he couldn't figure out how to regain it because before he was sort of relying on, well, it worked before. Why isn't it working now? And, mm -hmm. and wasn't considering the mindset that, that he was in, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's a tricky thing about church leadership is that you can, you can see some success and we sort of connect a result to a 
to a practice or, or, or a plan that we did. And we think that's why it succeeded. So, you know, why doesn't it just keep working? You know, yep. and we can be, be, be trapped in that mindset because we thought it was working. Mm-hmm. And this is, as far as like mindset, like this led me, as I was read, reading that Leah Iacocca, you know, example, I'm always applying it to the church context. And we have this dynamic in the church as far as like being a key holder or having authority. Like we are literally set apart and sometimes ordained to lead in certain callings. And so that alone can give us this mindset of, okay, I am now endowed with certain power to have the right answers, to have the right lenses and perspective. And sure, that we could like, there's examples in the church where maybe their specific events happen because of that, but we are limiting ourselves when we think, I'm the one with these the examples or or my opinion counts more than others. And again, these are things we do subconsciously. I, don't, I can't imagine yep. any good bishop or or least study president saying that, but we kind of get in that mode and that closes us off to a, a deeper, deeper revelation and answers, right? Yeah. And so what you're diving into is one of the four sets that I of mindsets that I focus on the, in the book. And I focus on these four sets of mindsets, not because these are just kind of out there. But literally, there's been 30 plus years of research backing on each of these sets of mindsets. Okay. And so there are other sets of mindsets that we can focus on. For example, I've seen abundance and deficit mindsets. I really like the principles associated with those. Unfortunately, we just have zero research demonstrating that those mindsets affect our thinking, learning, and behavior. Now, I think that they do, but I don't have that backing. And so in terms of the book, I've pulled together different sets of mindsets that have been studied in different fields of study, like psychology, education, management, and marketing. And they largely haven't been talking to each other. And so I just put them together into a single framework because they've all been demonstrated to drive our thinking, learning, and behavior. And one of these sets of mindsets, as you're uh, alluding to, is the difference between a closed mindset and an open mindset. And you're so right in that everybody, if we ask them, are you open-minded? Everybody's going to say yes. But before we smugly slap an open-minded sticker on our forehead, we should consider that that the people that can be the most damaging in the organization are those who think that they're open-minded but are actually closed-minded. Yeah. And I will say even broader than stepping into a leadership position where we naturally feel like we need to have all the right answers, I think that, and this is going to be maybe a little challenging for some folks, but I think our church culture actually incentivizes more of a closed mindset. How so, dare you, Ryan? I know. <laughs> hey, and, but this is great to explore because I, I I agree with you. And it's just these little innocent things that, that come up, but lead us into that discussion. So when we have a closed mindset, we're close to the ideas and suggestions of others. We're not willing to take those in. Mm-hmm. When we have an open mindset, we're open to others' ideas and suggestions, and we're willing to take them in. Not that we have to run with them, we or agree with them a, or anything, right? Yeah. We could always have a stiff back in terms of having our own principles. But what's really important is having a soft front, allowing ideas to come in. Now, I don't think any of us like hanging out with somebody who's closed-minded, right? We're, when we're closed-minded, we're rather unapproachable and off-putting. Our decision-making becomes stunted because we're not able to see alternative perspectives. So it leads me, it's led me to wonder, What leads somebody to be closed-minded? And at the end of the day, what leads somebody to be closed-minded is they believe that what they know is right. And when we believe that what we know is right, we want to be seen as being right. 
And mm. so to compare this, like let's compare our mind to a bucket. And if our bucket is full, meaning I what I know is is right, what happens if we pour something into a full bucket? Well, it just runs off the side. We aren't yeah. able to absorb any of it. And that's what happens when we have this closed mindset and we believe that what we know is right. Because when we believe that way, we want to be seen as being the one with all the answers. So we're not asking questions. This means that we're maybe the leader in the ward council meeting who's giving all of the answers. Like they're the first one to speak and they're the first one to say, I think this is what we should do. They're not the ones asking questions. They're closed off to feedback and new perspectives and they'll see disagreement as a threat. And that's kind of a natural way to operate if we believe that what we know is best. And so in terms of our overall church culture, have you ever heard anybody say, I know in church? <laughs> a few times. A few I, times. I love it. We're getting close to a sacred cow. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> so when we're saying I know, and then we can get, add on beyond a shadow of a doubt, what we're doing is we're saying my bucket is full and I have no more space for the idea that I could be wrong. Right. And, and this is, let me let me clarify that because this is such an important point is that you're not saying we should never put knowledge or truth into a bucket. We're just saying like being in a mindset where you feel like there's always something more to put in. There's always there's always extra room to put more information or knowledge or perspective into that bucket, right? Precisely. So when yeah. we have this open mindset, it's not that we can't be an expert on the topic. It's just we're leaving some room in that bucket for some new things to be poured in. Because when we leave that space, we no longer are focused on being seen as right. We're focused on finding truth and thinking optimally. Instead mm -hmm. of being the one answering the questions, we're the ones asking the questions. We're inviting feedback. We're inviting new perspectives. And we see disagreements as opportunities to learn. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but and this is maybe a little pet peeve of mine, is when I sit down in elders quorum, I think oftentimes it gets into a competition between who knows best. Hmm. And it, what that does is it shuts down the alternative perspectives of other people. It shuts down conversations. And the thing that's unique about this is Google has done a massive study to find out what makes their top performing teams top performing. And they found one primary factor, and it was psychological safety. The belief that you could speak up and take risk without fear of negative repercussions. And that's only going to be possible if those around us in that work environment or that church environment have open mindsets that are yeah. willing to hear new perspectives. So there may be things that we don't agree with in the church, such as maybe same gender attraction or homosexuality. Uh, and it's, it's not that we can't take a stance on that topic. But are you able to at least hear from people that have an opposing point of view? Just take in their ideas and explore them. Again, not that we have to run with them. Just try to understand as opposed to think my perspective is right and my perspective is best. Right. Yeah. And let me, let, another example as you've been talking that came to mind that where you, you talk about how our, our religious culture can actually stimulate a closed mindset than an open mindset which impacts our, our leadership negatively is, you know, being a lay, in a lay ministry, let's say a new bishop gets called and maybe he hasn't had a ton of leadership experience in the past. So, so with the best intentions, he wants to do a good job. He doesn't want to disappoint the stake president. He doesn't want to disappoint God, which is a whole other podcast I've done. And, you know, he just wants to do a good job. And so 
what does he do? Is he's like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick close to the handbook. Great, awesome. Get the handbook out. He's gonna re- read it cover to cover, highlight, make some notes, and constantly refer to that handbook. What happens is that then the handbook, which again, I'm in no way discouraging anybody from following the handbook. Let me be clear. But what happens is that as unique circumstances and perspectives come into the discussion, a lot of these things can't be found in the handbook, right? And so mm-hmm. he then be because it's risky to open the mind a little bit to other ideas, he says, well, it's not in the handbook, so therefore it must not be important. So therefore, I'm going to dismiss any ideas that cannot be directly found in a handbook because I just want to do a good job, right? Suddenly, we're in a closed mindset that it's hard to get out of because you're constantly looking to the rules, the policies, the procedures for things that aren't even meant to be explained there, right? Yeah. And you're actually now jumping into another set of mindsets. Okay. I'm, here. So it, I'm no, dragging you all great. over the place. All right. No, this is perfect. So this is a perfect segue because what you're jumping into is the difference between a prevention mindset and a promotion mindset. Right. So when we have a, pre- a prevention mindset, where primary focus is on not losing. When we have a promotion mindset, our primary focus is on winning and gains. And to explain the difference between these two mindsets, I want us to imagine that we're a ship captain in the middle of the ocean. And if we're the ship captain and we have a prevention mindset, our number one focus is on not sinking. Right. We don't want any problems to occur. We just want to maintain the status quo. In other words, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to take any risks. So what happens when a storm comes on the horizon and we're the ship captain that's focused on not sinking? Well, we're going to run to a place of safety, a port or a harbor where we won't be, you might say, buffeted by the winds and the storms in the sea. And But we got to ask ourselves, is that the destination that we originally set out for? No, it's right. not. Those who... Are, have this prevention mindset, they effectively become a life raft, blown about by the winds and the currents of the sea, and they, they end up in a destination that they didn't decide because they're trying to play it safe more than getting to a destination. And that's what a promotion mindset is, is when we have a clear destination and we're focused on making progress towards it. Because when we have the storm come on the horizon and we have this promotion mindset, we ask ourselves, does that storm stand between me and my destination? And if the answer is yes, then we anticipate problems. We batten down the hatches and we become willing to take the risks to brave the winds and the currents of the sea in order to get to a destination of our own proactive design. Yeah. And so when we're focused on avoiding problems, we're kind of going the course of least resistance and we're not having the positive influence that we can have, what truly our ideal selves want us to have. We're not really making progress towards anything. We're just avoiding problems. And the absence of disease does not equal health. Yeah. And I love that you use the term status quo because this is this is something I, I think about a lot is the status quo where like this, most people would say like you think of your, the, your ward, wherever the ward it is, and maybe you're in an outlier and it's, you know, just out of this world successful and you're breaking all sorts of records and being written about in the ensign and all these things. But if you think about the status, what envision what the status quo looks like in your ward. And oftentimes people will say the status quo is not working, but it also is not failing, or it's also not creating destruction. So maybe we're, we'll just sort of slowly inch our way out of the status quo, but nobody inches their way out of the status quo. It's just, many times takes dynamic vision to 
push back on the status quo. And this is going back to that handbook example where we see the status quo is there, but we're afraid to push on it because that is risky, right? What yeah. happens when I push on it? What what of these social desires are going to be disrupted when I push on it? Maybe I'm going to fail as a as a leader. Maybe I'm going to look wrong, right? And people will I'll lose trust with people or or maybe they'll just create more problems when I push on the status quo. So, I'm just going to go with the flow, right? We're, we're yeah. going to make sure the church is unlocked on, on Sunday. And I call this the, you know, the, uh, all you do as a leader is unlock the doors and turn on the lights on Sunday. And that's good, right? So you just make sure you're there every Sunday to do the status quo. But fan- remarkable leadership happens when we push back on the status quo, recognizing there's some risk in doing that. And let's, I'm going to touch on a little pet peeve of mine within the church. And I mean, what is the typical sacrament meeting talk topic? General conference. uh, A general conference talk, right? Uh So essentially, that's kind of become the norm. And is this a prevention mindset driven by a prevention mindset or a promotion mindset? Uh, Prevention. It seems to me to be a prevention (laughs) because we're focused on, if we're talking about a general conference talk, we can't go wrong. Yeah, it's it's Uh, safe. It's safe. And our purpose by default becomes, Essentially, what's the purpose of our sacrament meeting? To tell people what they should have listened to in general conference. Like, what if we were to, as a leader, say, what impact do we want to have on our congregation through our sacrament meetings? And if we identify a destination, feelings that we want to create, outcomes that we want to create, I imagine that selecting a general conference talk is only one option of many options that we can utilize to create the positive outcomes that we want to create with our sacrament. Yeah. Does that make sense? Does that resonate? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it'd be such a healthy exercise for every component of that you experience in leadership. So it may be, what are 10 risks we could take in ward council? What are 10 risks that we could take in sacrament meeting? And some people hear that in our conservative culture, think, ah, oh, like, Ryan, I don't like where you're going with this because this is where apostasy happens or this is where, you know, false doctrine is introduced. And yeah, those are maybe some, some <laughs> to me, okay, they're not risks. If, I'm, we're cutting that out. I can't even believe I brought that up. But, <laughs> but nonetheless, like that's where our, our mind goes is like, well, what if apostasy happens? Like, what if we lead people astray? And so to me, to me a lot of people can't see the potential that could come from this. And let me, and to me, what the potential is, is that lives could be changed and brought into Christ more effectively. And let me give you an example of this. We did a, a recording with Rob Farrell, who was a young single adult stake president. And he talks about how he had all these people come into his office. Uh, I mean, all these people, I mean, a handful of people for, for over his time as stake president who were in very like, had very sketchy past. Like one individual had been addicted to drugs, had been homeless, living on the streets. She had, um, in, um, gotten herself in, involved with prostitution or to sell drugs. I mean, just awful, evil stuff, right? And th- she she had this huge turnaround, came back to the gospel, and she came to him and said, I want to serve a mission. Now, that as a, as a stake president, most people would say, <laughs> I, I love your desire. I appreciate it, but it's just not going to happen. I'm sorry, right? But instead, he took the approach of pushing back on the status quo a little bit, and he's and there's some risk in that, but he wrote up an exception to the office of the first presidency, and he said he got into a habit that he was writing more exceptions for people than just telling them no. 
And what happened is through that exception, she was granted the opportunity to serve a mission, right? And so you go back to, well, I could have remained closed-minded. I don't want to like, I don't want to be the guy that's always writing letters to the first presidency asking for exceptions. I don't want to be the guy that's pushing back on the handbook. It clearly says in the handbook that these things probably aren't a good idea, right? But because he did this, this individual had a remarkable experience. So going back to and came you know closer to Christ and sanctified and all these things. So going back to the your sacrament example, like what are some risks you could take? Again, we're not saying like, well, why don't we have an atheist speak every other week? That'd be risky. Like, no, there's some r- r- ridiculous examples, but what are some slight risks that we could take that are going to push back on the status quo? Because that is when real leadership is demonstrated and lives are changed, right? Yeah. And what we're talking about is the difference between being comfort focused and being purpose right. focused. Mm-hmm. And when we are purpose focused, we just become intentional, right? So we're focused on creating something whether that's certain feelings, certain experiences, whatever that might be, we have a destination that we're shooting for and we become intentional about getting there. When we don't have a purpose, when we don't have intentions, our default is to just do what is easy, the status quo. And now things get done, good things happen there, but we've got to ask ourselves, are we having the positive influence that we want to have? And maybe even at a deeper level, are we having the positive influence that God wants us to have while we're mm-hmm. in that position? Is There's always this balance between kind of, I, we've got to stick to the handbook, which again, isn't a bad thing, but, but there's also the idea that God's empowering us to do great things. Like Joseph Smith had to go out on a limb and try a wide variety of things before he figured out what worked. Now we've got a hundred, you know, almost 200 years of experience that we've figured out what works and what doesn't. But at the same time, we've got to continually adapt. I think that's one of the things that, that we're seeing church leaders recognize, President Nelson recognizes. Look at all the change that has happened or since he's became the prophet. So we, he recognizes that We've got to adapt if we want to better serve the spiritual, emotional, temporal needs of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. And and that's where, I mean, that's faith, right? I mean, it's easy to, in our own personal lives to know that God's going to give a situation where we're going to have to take some steps forward. There's going to be some risks. We're going to have to lean into that faith because that's how he bless us. Like that's the same thing in our leadership experiences is we need to lean into some of these risky behaviors uh, again, people can run with that and I'll get hate mail for it, but hopefully people get the concept is we lean into that and that's where we find greater sanctification, a deeper experience with the Savior, a deeper experience with the doctrines of the gospel. And I'm glad you mentioned this term like purpose, like going back to your being the captain of the ship, like you have to have like a goal or a, a vision in place of where we want to land the ship. Because if you don't, then it's harder to have an open mind about because you don't know where you're going. So you might as well just stay closed minded. Right. And that's why I always harp so much on creating and developing vision and organization. And that's really in order to be if you want to be more open minded, set a dynamic vision and then that'll give you plenty of opportunity to exercise open mindedness so that we can figure out how to get to that, that place. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yep. Awesome. And I, I I wrote this down. I want to highlight it. We probably beat this horse enough, but just this visual of a bucket, right? And realizing like how full is your bucket? And it's so easy to take the bucket and say, well, we have the handbook. You know, I, we have authority and, and uh, we have life success. And, you know, we 
we have the scriptures and we can, we're good. Like we don't need any, anything more. And we're just going to, our bucket's full. We're going to continue forward, but figuring out ways. And again, to create space in the bucket doesn't mean you have to remove the handbook or remove the scriptures. You just have to get in a mindset where we of abundance saying there's more room here to learn. And what, what can we, what can we discover there? Right. Yeah. I'm going to draw upon uh, some of my experience when I was a Gallup consultant. So okay. if people aren't familiar with Gallup, Gallup goes into organizations and assesses employee engagement and works with those organizations to develop greater employee engagement. And the way that we define engagement is somebody who is emotionally connected to their job or organization such that it's characterized by vigor, dedication, and absorption. So I think when, in other words, we want people converted. We want people who are emotionally connected that are vigorous, dedicated, and absorbed. I think that explains exactly what we're hoping Latter-day Saints to have with their church experience. And so I think one of the purposes that we can focus on as church leaders is creating engagement with Latter-day Saints. Yeah. And now Gallup's got this measure that's got 12 questions. It's called the Q12. You can Google it. And it identifies different factors that they found to drive engagement. And I'd known about these factors prior to joining Gallup, but I always had the question, okay, while I get these 12 are important, are there certain factors, maybe one or two, that are more important than others for driving engagement. And so as soon as I got my hands on a decent amount of data, so it was nine organizations, 60,000 employees, I identified two factors that are the most important for driving engagement. So the number one factor is an item that is my opinions count at work. Now, if somebody could give a five, meaning they strongly agreed to my opinions count at work, or we could say my opinions count at church, 95% of them were engaged. Hmm. And this is in a database where only 30% of the U.S. population is engaged. So this is a slam dunk. If my opinions count at church, I'm going to be engaged. The second factor is an item that somebody at work, or we could say at church, cares about me as a person. And if somebody couldn't strongly agree, meaning they gave a one through four, only 12% of those people were engaged. So what this means that if we want members of our church to be engaged, we've got to create opportunities for their opinions to be heard, and we've got to make them feel like they are loved and valued as a person. Yeah. And I and, even, even tweak the opinions to like perspectives. Like I just want, when I go to church, I want my perspective to be considered and valued. Yeah. And so one of the challenges that I think that we have is now that we've reduced down to a two-hour church windows. We now have less opportunities to have our opinions heard and to be valued by others. Yeah. And this is really problematic. So historically, I would say the typical approach to, let's just say, a Sunday school lesson or a Relief Society or Elders Corp lesson is I'm going to deliver you the information that is in the manual or in this church talk. Like it's almost like I have the flash drive of information and I just want to plug it into you so that you leave with this information. But unfortunately, that's just not an engaging situation for our church members because mm -hmm. they don't have the ability to have their opinions heard. And it's really difficult for people who may have, you might say, more liberal perspectives is what happens if you have a perspective that is different than the majority? What is the likelihood that your voice is going to be heard? And so if we're a leader 
And we want everybody to come unto Christ, to be emotionally connected and converted to the gospel. We as a leader have got to create context and situations in which that can occur, which based upon research and these mindsets, we've got to have an open mindset, open to the ideas and suggestions of others. And we've got to see others as people and value them as such. And not as you know objects that may get in our way because they said something that may go against what I personally believe. Yeah. Now this I'm glad you brought up this this concept of engagement because like I mean the statistics you share from Gallup as far as like 30% of the workforce is engaged at work. Like holy smokes, imagine what we could do as a country if we were even half engaged. I mean, we're seen as this powerhouse in, in the world and there's so much more we could do and draw upon. And then putting that into church concept, it's easy as a leader to sometimes get in this mode of like, listen, like the sacrament is the most important thing for people to do when they come to church. And I would agree with that, right? So we provide the sacrament, it's there and great, they can come and do that. But there's so many times I've even felt this in my own church experience where I sort of leave after the two hours, I think, yeah, you know, I sat through Sunday school, but I didn't give give an opportunity to share, or even if I was, I didn't feel necessarily comfortable, right? Psychological safety of opening my mouth and saying anything. And so I love this concept of by considering your mindset, you can actually increase engagement in your organization by increasing people's voice and increasing their their care. And I mean, I just think of a Sunday school president sitting down as a Sunday school presidency and saying, okay, how can we increase engagement? I listened to this crazy Ryan guy and he said it's through increasing their voice and increasing how they, that people feel that they feel cared about. And so how can we do that in Sunday school? Well, let's talk with our teachers and we're going to say no more lectures, no more preparing all this stuff and, you know, dumping it on, on the class. What can you do to stimulate relationships in a Sunday school class? Do we need to break up in rooms? Do we need to have smaller classes? Do we need to rotate who teaches more? Like, do we need to have team teachers that teach together when we, like, there's so many but these questions are what stimulate the mind of creating engagement. And it starts with that mindset, right? Yep. Awesome. Where are we going next? We've talked about uh, the importance of purpose, engagement, anything else as far as like, I think we've generally understood mindsets and, and really, and maybe this is another model, but as I read your book, there's just this, if I was to summarize the mindset, it's like, it's just the the optimism versus pessimism or the, the cup is, is half full, the bucket is half full. And, and there's a, an abundance mentality and just maintaining positivity and moving forward that way, right? I mean, that's the, the general message. Yeah, it's a general message, but it's a little bit too oversimplified. Like I'm there with you. It, it, yeah, it yeah. is the general message, but here's what's really interesting. So I have a personal mindset assessment. Anybody could take it. It's on my website. It's free. It's 20 questions. And you can get your results of the quality of your mindsets across each of these four continuums relative to about 10,000 other people who have taken the assessment. And what I found across this database is a couple of things that I think are really interesting. One is that only 5% of all people who have taken the assessment are in the top quartile for all four sets of these mindsets. Hmm. That means that most of us have work to do with regards to our mindsets. Even those of us who are trying our best and think that our mindsets are really good. Because again, it's not... You can't just say, I'm going to just have a, maintain a positive attitude because, because the best intentions don't mean that you're open-minded or that you're benefiting your organization, right? Yeah, exactly. The other thing that's really interesting is 
I expected there to be a correlation across the positive mindset. So let's just say if I'm more open-minded, I'm going to be more likely to be growth-minded. And what we found is that it's actually, they're not very correlated, that Hmm. it's almost equally likely to have somebody who has a strong closed mindset to also have a strong growth mindset, as opposed to somebody who's, you know, strong growth and strong open. And so what this means is that these are very distinct and different lenses that we are wearing. And so when we say, you know, it's cup is full versus cup is half empty, it's more than just that because there's Mm. a lot of complexity across these mindsets that what we're bringing to the table is very unique to us, that truly our mindsets are unique. And again, it just doesn't necessarily mean that they're the best. Gotcha. And so my guess is if, if we can awaken to our mindset, so take the assessment, awaken to our mindsets, we'll get some clarity on where we can improve our mindsets to have more of the positive influence that we want to have and become more of our ideal selves. Yeah, that's good. Because so going back to that, that some may have a closed mindset, but a high growth experience. So like you may have a bad boss that's closed minded, but he's still really successful in his career. Is that what you're talking about? Well, so when we think about like, let's just say a growth mindset, this means that we believe that we and others can improve our talents, abilities, and intelligence. Okay. And when we have that belief, we look for opportunities to learn and grow because we believe that we can. And we don't see challenge and failure as bad things. So we can believe that we can learn and grow, but we can also still believe that what I know is best. Ah, gotcha. And so, so those are still the same. Let me just talk about the fixed mindset side. So if we don't believe that we can learn and grow, we have a tendency to think that people are who they are and there's nothing we can do about it. So we see the world in terms of haves or have nots. And we want to be seen as a have. So when we have a fixed mindset, when we encounter challenges, we're likely to back away from them because we're afraid of failing. And we see that if we fail, we're going to be seen as a have not. And so those that with a fixed mindset, their primary focus becomes on looking good as opposed to actually learning and growing. And this is really interesting because one of the pieces of of research that has come out from this that affects, I believe, church leaders is that if we have a fixed mindset, and roughly about half of the population has a fixed mindset, we are going to be less inclined to develop those that we work with. Whereas if we have a growth mindset, we're going to be more inclined because we believe that they could change. So as a leader, if we have a fixed mindset, we are going to unintentionally avoid probably working with people that we deem as have-nots. They're hopeless. They're never going to change. So we're going to stop investing in them. Whereas those with the growth mindset are going to see, these are people that I could work with and develop. And so as you gave that example of this woman who had, you know, a checkered past, who then gained this admission to go on a mission, it seems pretty obviously that this individual has more of a growth mindset because he believed that this person can change. And again, it's interesting because 50% of the population tends to have more of a fixed mindset. And I can see, especially when you're when you bring repentance into the mix, if you have a, a more of a fixed mindset, thinking people are as they are, and rarely do they ever change, then you're not going to bring much hope to the conversation, even if you don't realize you're in that state, right? Just and even if you yourself, if I have a fixed mindset and I'm the one who sinned, hmm. like I'm kind of stuck with this. 
Let me give you another example of where I've seen this play out in the church. Okay. And this comes from when I was a, a, sac- or a, a Sunday school president. And whenever we would have a gospel doctrine teacher is going to be out of town, I would call up folks to ask to sub the class. And without fail, I had to talk to at least six people before I got a yes. So I would call people up and say, hey, I think you would do a great job teaching in Sunday school. I think it would be a great opportunity for you to learn, but also contribute to the ward in a way that you don't normally contribute. And they would say, yeah, I'm just not very comfortable getting up in front of the Sunday school. I just don't feel confident in myself. And what is taking over in these situations is a fixed mindset. Because in those moments, these individuals are more focused on how they are going to look than how much they are going to learn and grow. They're gotcha. afraid that if they get up there because they're not the expert or they don't have as much experience, I mean, this is a challenge for them. And if we have a fixed mindset, we're going to back away from this challenge because we're afraid of looking bad. Whereas those people that have a growth mindset, they're the ones that, yeah, I'll take it on. I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but I'll take it on because I know that I will learn and grow as a part of the process. And so, you know, if you're listening to this, which one are you? If you're invited to do something, are you the one that kind of, yeah, I'm a little leery. I'm not going to, I don't feel comfortable doing this because it may make me look bad. Or are you somebody that says, bring it on because this is a unique opportunity to stretch myself. And at play, I mean, both we ask these two individuals who respond very differently, are you doing the best that you can? And I think both of them say yes. But the reality is, is that one is going to learn, grow and develop and become a better disciple of Jesus Christ than the other because they're less reluctant to stretch themselves and put themselves out there in a way that will help them to learn and grow. Yeah, man, there's so much uh, to dissect there, but it's true that you know, and again, it's just sort of being open to getting out of your comfort zone because that's where the growth happens. But in a doctrinal context, that's where the sanctification happens. That's where we actually become more, become more like our Father in Heaven when we're when we're in these uh, when we get out of our fixed mindset, saying, "I'm not the person that does that. I'm not. I'm not a public speaker. You know, I it's just not me. So I'd rather not do that." And maybe it is like I, if someone was to throw me in a van and take me to a an airport and say, you're going to skydive today, I'd probably be like, "Uh, no, like really, I'm not going to do that. And so it's really like as a leader, sort of finding that balance, like, okay, listen, you don't need to speak in sacramenty, but would you be open to teaching the sunbeams? Can we start there? Right. And we want to give you opportunities for growth. Right. And so you're sort of trying to find where to push enough, but not too much where it just completely shuts them off and, and makes them retreat. Yeah, Kurt, I don't know about your experience, but here's the question that's popping in my head as you're saying this. When does the spirit kick in to help us out? Does it kick in when we are confident and comfortable in doing what we're doing? Or does it kick in when we're not confident and when we're not comfortable? That we get elevated by the spirit when we put ourselves in those situations. And so even let's go back to these four desires on the negative side. And versus the positive, a desire to look good, be right, avoid problems, and get ahead. Do you think the spirit is there when we have those desires? I don't think so. I think the spirit is there when we're focused on learning and growing, finding truth, reaching goals, and lifting others. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, I think our mindsets actually dictate the degree to which we have interactions with the spirit. 
that mm. we we get uplifted and strengthened and comforted is when we are operating with these more positive mindsets and have these more positive desires. Yeah. And again, I mean, you really wrote a book about faith here, Ryan. I don't know <laughs> if you realize that, but I mean, just look at the grander scheme of things when we're done with this life and we go back and meet our maker and he, he says, you never leaned in anything, you know, you never got out of that comfort zone and you haven't really changed much, you know? And, and so, yeah, this is, you know, doctrines found in all truth, obviously. And so there's so much value in really analyzing one on a personal level, how, where's, are we of a fixed, am I of a fixed mindset? Or even on an organizational level, are we of a fixed mindset or an open mindset with with how we do things in the world? Do we always play it safe? Do I always have the activity that we've done for years because that's just how we've always done it, right? And uh, but there's so much growth can be happen as we push against the status quo and and uh, challenge ourselves as individuals and as organizations. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I wanted to uh, maybe we'll go here at this point as far like what do we do with the leader that. We we have that bishop that is so close-minded, I can barely show up to church on Sunday. Like, I get these emails, right? So what do we do when we're part of an organization where the leadership isn't as open-minded as we, or it doesn't have the mindset that we'd like them to have? Yeah, well, you give them one of my books. No. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, but no, I think this is something where one, you, you mentioned earlier, we've got to approach them with the right mindset. We've got to recognize that they believe that what they're doing is best. And that leads us to ask, what is going on in their life that is leading them to believe that this is the best way to live, right? So if they are being closed-minded, they're feeling pressure to be seen as right. If they are kind of comfort-focused, they may be receiving pressure to want to avoid problems. They may have a lot of demands outside of their current leadership position that's causing them to have more of this negative mindset. So one, we need to recognize that. And then two, once we can kind of recognize where we're coming from, then it helps us identify how do we help them feel greater safety with regards to what they're experiencing. And and if we can just approach them with, okay, I see where their negative mindset is. Let me address some of the issues that is causing that. Let me dive into that or let me maybe present some ideas in a way that isn't going to rub that person in the wrong way. So if they think that they're right or we've got to stick by the handbook and we don't necessarily agree that that's exactly what the handbook says, uh, you know, maybe push back on why just ask what what's going on that's leading you to just push back on this so firmly. I want to better understand where you're coming from. And, and, you know, I want to be sensitive. I think that you're doing a really great thing here. And so once we kind of just acknowledge their shoes and where they're coming from, they will do a better job of opening up to us. Mm, yeah. Uh, in fact, let me just recommend a, a quick book. If, if people yeah. are interested in this, there's a book that's called I Hear You. It's written by Michael Sorensen, and it's only $5 on Audible. So there's really no reason for us not to get it. And I will say it is the book that has done more to improve my emotional intelligence than any other book. Wow. And it's just about how do you validate other people's ideas? And essentially, this is what we've been talking about with an open mindset. How do you just take in ideas without necessarily having to run with them or even agree with them? 
Yeah. Because once people feel heard, that's what matters, not that we run with their ideas. And so the book is great about giving us tools and ideas about how to help other people to feel heard. Man, that's great, especially in a like a ward council setting or a council meeting setting, like because we we want to do that, but sometimes we don't have the skill or ability to do that, right? Yeah. So going back to the question, the more I thought about it, you know, throughout reading this book, and I get these emails sometimes, like, and again, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to shame these people by any means, but if you are in a position or if you are in a state of mind where you're asking themselves that my leader is so close-minded that I am limited as an individual. You are actually the person that's that's experiencing a closed mindset, right? And I get this question all the time, like, you know, like I mentioned, but, and I often remind people, like, do you, do you realize you actually don't need a calling to do the vast majority of things in your ward? I mean, if if we get in this mindset of thinking, well, if I was in charge or if, if I was the elders court president, then I do it differently. Well, why don't you just go ahead and do it differently, right? Who says you can't? make visits or who says you can't do a variety of different things to reach out and make a difference in your ward. When we get in this mindset that only the leader can have an influence on the ward, that's a very closed mindset and you're limiting yourself from growth, right? That's a, you're, you're fixed in your mindset and you're, you're limiting yourself from experiencing more, right? Yeah, I think so. Cool. Uh, what are we missing, Ryan, as we wrap up here? So we've talked about these four different sets of mindsets. We've talked about how we we range on this continuum. These, these different sets of mindsets represent a continuum. So fixed to growth, that's a continuum. We fall somewhere along that range. It's unlikely that we're going to be way on the negative side or way on the positive side. But then the question becomes, okay, we identify where we are and we identify we have room for improvement. How do we go about making improvement then becomes a question. And what we've got to recognize is that our mindsets really are neural connections in our prefrontal cortex. So we all have a closed mindset neural connection and we all have an open mindset neural connection. Which one we rely upon is the one that is stronger or more recently activated because that'll fire louder and quicker. Mm -hmm. But the other neural connection that's softer or not as strong is going to be softer and slower. Mm. And so when we think about shifting our mindsets, what we've got to do is we've got to activate and strengthen our more positive mindset neural connections. And there's different things that we could do for each of these more positive mindsets, but they generally involve just learning more about them. That's going to activate them. We can engage in watching short videos or doing short journaling exercises. In fact, I've got a book right by me here. It's called the five minute journal. And I credit this book from helping me shift from a prevention mindset to a promotion mindset. Because every day it invites me to answer three questions in the morning. What are three things that I'm grateful for? What are three things that would make today great? And fill in a couple of daily affirmations. So I am fill in the blank. And as I started to do this, particularly the what would make today great, I was exercising my promotion mindset neural connection. Because what is the destination that I want to arrive at? as opposed to what are the problems I want to avoid. And as I started to do this on a daily basis, I kind of got into a competition with myself. How do I make today better than yesterday? Mm. How do I make this week better than last week? How do I make this month better than last month? So that's just an example of an exercise that we can engage in to help us to shift to have more positive mindsets. And so if we, if we can be more intentional 
about this. And if people take my mindset assessment or read my book, they're going to get a whole host of recommendations on different tools that they could utilize. But just know that it is research suggests that it's fairly easy to change our mindsets. Research finds that watching a three-minute video will shift our mindsets for up to two weeks. Now, if we could stack these interventions on top of each other, then we could shift our mindsets to be more positive on a more positive basis. And so what this means, that's some information for us personally as leaders or really as disciples of Christ. But if we're a leader of an organization, what that means is we need to create these positive interventions for those that we lead. How do we help them do a better job of seeking truth as opposed to wanting to be seen as right? How do we help people focus on reaching goals, creating positive outcomes as opposed to avoiding problems? And I think we as leaders are in a unique position to positively influence people in those ways. Yeah, my mind goes to like to increase to improve your mindset, you have to improve your mindfulness, right? I mean, th- these these tactics you describe are, are meditative in principle, right? And I did an interview. I don't know if you've read the book yet from a desert book called The Power of Stillness, but it's a, it was a life-changing book for me. And this would play into that. And I interviewed the authors. I don't know if that'll be released before or after this, but just the, the act of like slowing things down, right? And, and taking back to a, a meeting context, like how can we slow that process down? It's so easy to get into a room and do the round robin or, all right, who's got the opening prayer? All right, you share the spiritual thought. All right, what's the first matter of business? But just stopping and slowing the process down, creating space for our our mind to process where our mindset is and then getting there. And you talk about these questions. I own one of those journals as well. It's a powerful thing. But questions, finding right questions to start any meeting or to start any experience anchors our mind and connects it with the spirit or with our spirit, our soul, and helps us move forward with a better, with the mindset, which we ideally want to act from. Right. And so I'm such powerful, such powerful tools and tactics. So awesome. Well, so give us just a a rundown. Sometimes I worry, especially when I talk to guys like you, that we get so far into the weeds, people think like, wow, that was a really good episode, but I'm not sure why I don't know what to do next. So as we wrap up, like if what would you tell someone who just wants to take the first steps of being more mindful of their mind, mindset? Yeah, I think the first step is really, I mean, it's an easy one. Go to my website, take this mindset assessment. It's 20 yeah. questions, it's five minutes. It produces a really comprehensive and individualized report about your mindsets. And it just is, it's a self-awakening moment because I think I mentioned this earlier, 90% of our thinking, feeling, judging, and acting is driven by our non-conscious automatic processes. Hmm. And these (laughs) non-conscious automatic processes are driven by our mindsets. And most of us just aren't conscious of our mindsets. And we don't have labels for these mindsets. So when we don't have labels, we don't have anything to focus on. But so let me just tell you a little bit about my personal experience in terms of my self-development journey as a disciple of Christ is... For most of my adult life, when I would focus on becoming a better disciple of Christ, I would primarily focus on behaviors. What are things that I should do or what are things that I should not do and avoid? But here's the problem is if we're focusing on behaviors, trying to move those forward, but our mindsets stay the same, our mindsets will continually resist the changes in behaviors that we're trying to make. But if we could push forward our mindsets, naturally our thinking 
our learning and our behavior will follow. It's a more natural way of developing ourselves. And if we think about this as a leader who is ministering to others, if we want them to improve their lives in some ways, rather than focus on here's all the things that you need to do or not do, what if we were to focus on mindsets and get them to change their lenses? Then they will naturally think, learn, and behave better. So I think that we can be more effective ourselves of becoming uh, better disciples of Christ and helping others do the same if we focus more on mindsets and less on the do's and don'ts associated with the gospel. Wow, that's powerful. And it's so, I mean, there's so many examples coming to mind, but even, you know, when we think about repentance, like when we shift the mindset from you've done something wrong and you should feel really bad about this and we got to get this fixed to, wow, you did something wrong and you're learning. Like, what'd you learn? Like, that's fantastic. How, how did you, how did you develop as a disciple of Christ? That's, that's remarkable. You know, there's, and there's so much more there that we can learn as we reflect on that. Well, what does the Bible dictionary say repentance is? It's a change of mind and heart. Oh my goodness. What is that? It's a mindset shift. Yeah. We're just improving the lenses in which we see the world. And that's repentance. And because our mindsets are really foundational to everything that we do, that's the heart of change, personal, organizational. And that's really what repentance is, is changing our mindsets. Awesome. Well, right. Any any other principle that you wanted to hit on before we wrap up? No, I think we covered all of them. That's like, good. <laughs> w- w- I guess we didn't get baptism in the Holy Ghost. But, right, uh, we did. We did. <laughs> but we'll leave that for next time. <laughs> cool. Well, this has uh, been so good. And uh, you've mentioned your website a few times, ryangoffertson.com. The people can go to and take the assessment there. Obviously, your book's available. And, and if they go to and- my website, they mm-hmm. can get, uh, at least right now, and this will change once the physical copy comes out, but they could either buy the ebook or the physical copy and then get the audio version for free. And there's some other webinars and resources. If you go to my website, you could get some a bunch of freebies. So yeah. I just try to make it easy on people to, to digest the material. Yeah. And I just think like what a fun activity and a re- revealing activity to take the first part of Word Council and say, we're all going to take this mindset analysis and see what we learn. Right. And yep. uh, man, what a great way to set your Word Council off in the right direction. All right. Last question I have here, Ryan, is as you have considered mindsets and researched and analyzed and and reflected on your own mindsets, how has this process made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? I think we've touched a lot on that. For me, it's really just changed, I think, my connection with God and the Spirit, because as I'm focused more on learning and growing, finding truth, reaching goals and lifting others. I feel like I'm a better person, a better disciple of Christ. I'm more of my ideal self and I'm living less in fear and I'm living more in opportunity. And so my hope, and I think that that's the beauty of the gospel is that we free ourselves from our fears, our self-restraints. I think that's the purpose of the atonement and, and empowering us to become really what God has meant us to become, which is a great individual. And I think a focus on mindsets has really helped me make a significant transition to becoming more of what my Heavenly Father wants me to be. That concludes my interview with Ryan Gottfriedson. Please go check out this book. Pass around your ward or your friends. Do a book club with the success mindsets. It's such a valuable information and you really don't even have to be a leader, right? Like whether you're a parent, a husband, a wife, like there's so many applications to this book would fit in because it's just about being a human and having a brain and 
uh, dealing with the, the brain's natural tendencies and overcoming those things that are more negative. But such a phenomenal research book, and I can't recommend it enough. I actually uh, already lev- left a five-star review on Amazon. I hope you'll do the same once you uh, check it out. But I hope you benefited from this conversation that I had with Ryan. And again, these are so, they're kind of tricky at times because I don't want to come across saying that, oh yeah, you should uh, go rogue and you know stop looking at the handbook or don't read your scriptures or do your own thing or whatever. But again, it's just leadership is the the routine of finding the status quo and pushing back on it, which is risky. But you'll, like I said, you'll discover deeper inspiration, revelation, deeper experience of a level of engagement for those in your organization. So anyways, I hope, I hope it came, we were clear in, in what we were stating and so forth, but really a phenomenal book. Go check it out. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 and join the Core Leader community today. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.